it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, March the 4th, 2022. Happy Friday and welcome to the Guy Benson Show. I'm your host, Guy Benson. Very pleased to have you on board every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m., That's the show. That's Monday through Friday. But on weekends, we also offer you Bonus Benson as part of the podcast, which is always free. For download, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All the information at GuyBensonShow.com. Another option is FoxNewsPodcasts.com. We are live. We are in South Florida. I'm here for an event. And I'm very happy to be here, also very happy to have you, wherever you're listening from, live or on the podcast. We are just grateful for this growing, expanding radio family. Here's the lineup today on the program. Charlie Hurt, our Fox News colleague, he will be joining us later this hour. We'll talk news of the day. We'll get into some politics with him. In fact, a controversy, if you can call it that, involving the governor of the state, where I am standing right now, Florida. We touched on this earlier in the week. It's still happening, apparently, this story. We'll get Charlie's take on that. We will also welcome back to the program Congressman Mike Gallagher, a Republican of Wisconsin. We'll be talking Ukraine, Russia, Iran, and more with him. In our middle hour, we will also catch up with our friend Kat Temp. Fridays with Kat. Try to get a little bit lighter with her, just a little bit. Got a few questions on my mind for Kat. Then in our final hour, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican of Tennessee. She and I actually shared a stage this morning at this event. We did an interview, and we had actually a really extended period of time to chat back and forth. We won't have quite as much time on the air today, but we'll hit a couple of the big topics. You think about Senator Blackburn's committee assignments. She's on commerce. She's on armed services. She's on judiciary. These are very relevant, her portfolio, very relevant to the news cycle. So we'll be talking with the senator in the final hour of today's show, plus a proper, even extended home stretch. We try to have fun at the end of the show, typically. We haven't been doing that quite as much this week because of, well, obvious reasons, by virtue of the news cycle and, and how serious it has been, how sobering it's been. Because it's Friday, we will try to catch up on some of the stuff that's now been backloaded to this Friday edition of The Guy Benson Show. That's in the final half hour of today's program, so please stay tuned. Fox News alert as we begin. Stats, which is what we always do. Let's start here. Confirmed cases of coronavirus over the course of this whole pandemic. These are the Official stats, 79.1 million cases in the United States for reasons that we have discussed ad nauseum. That is a vast underestimation. The death toll of Americans who have died with or of COVID over these last two years, now 955,290. Check at the markets real quick. The Dow is currently down, down significantly, 353 points. Trading at 33,441 will update you when the closing bell has rung at the top of our next hour. 
as we come on the air, I want to bring to you a few updates on the situation in Ukraine. Last evening, I was at a dinner and was listening to a speech, a very funny presentation, actually, from my friend Seth Dillon, who runs the Babylon Bee, the satirist, and that whole, it's really a comedy website, right? They do satire, they poke fun of politics and politicians, they poke fun on some religious subjects as well. They're kind of like a Christian, right-leaning version of The Onion. But because they are being funny and irreverent on the right side of things, they're constantly getting fact-checked and deplatformed and demonetized and all this stuff. It's actually pretty wild. So he was talking about that. Seth and I go way back to church youth group when we were in our early teens. So we were reminiscing a little bit after dinner, and it was lovely. And I got back to my hotel room here in Florida, and I checked my phone. And I was like, I'm sorry, the Russians are shelling a nuclear power plant, and it's on fire? I mean, people talk about the term doom scrolling on their phone with headlines or Twitter feeds or whatever. That's very much how it has felt in recent days. Maybe that resonates with you, just the doom scrolling has been on steroids recently. And with some of the stuff that's not rumored but real, I feel, again, not to make light of this, but I felt, and I mentioned it today to the, uh, to the audience, remember the old classic comedy film, Airplane? Just an absolute classic. So many fantastic jokes and gags in that movie. Very politically incorrect. But there was the one guy, I think one of the air traffic controllers, who over the course of this sort of crisis aboard the airplane, he's like, well, I guess this was the wrong day to quit smoking. Then half an hour later, I guess I picked the wrong day to quit drinking, right? And it, and it starts accelerating and sort of escalating what he is now reverting back to doing because of stress. At one point he says, I picked the wrong day to quit sniffing glue. And that is how it has felt just being a consumer of the news in recent days. And last night, these headlines about the the nuclear power plants, like if the Russians are willing to bomb that, that is a very concerning development. Because, I mean, you would think a Russian government would be extra careful around a nuclear power plant located in geographical modern-day Ukraine, given what happened a number of decades ago. There was an HBO series made about it recently, which was very disturbing but extremely well done, called, simply enough, Chernobyl. But I guess the plant, when when I tuned into this on social, the plant was on fire, and they were able to get the fire under control. It seems like the damage has been limited and it did not you know go into anything like a meltdown but that was still sort of a a shocking development last evening and when you hear what putin himself is saying to try to justify this invasion this all-out war where it's very obvious that they are just targeting civilians at this point the video that's coming out the residential you know, apartment building and towers that are getting hit by not one errant bomb or missile, but multiple in a row. I mean, he's not really trying at this point to even put any believable spin on things. He is just aggressively lying, smearing the Ukrainians. I mean, it's it's just uh, quite, quite astonishing to listen to, even though, I mean, it's real. I guess we're not surprised at this stage of what he's doing, but it still kind of takes your breath away 
that this is what a world leader armed to the teeth with a lot of nuclear weapons as well is saying. Here's just a, a snippet. Here's a taste of how Putin is, I guess, posturing for his domestic audience, trying to explain why this what they're calling is like a strategic military action. They're not calling it a war. They're shutting down a lot of the coverage in Russia so people don't really know what's happening in Ukraine. So this is what they're hearing over there from their leader, cut two. I will never forgo my conviction that uh, the Russians and uh, Ukrainians are a single people, even though the citizens of Ukraine are intimidated and many of them are misguided with nationalist propaganda. We are fighting with Nazis. The nationalist detachments, which include foreign fighters, including from the Middle East, use peaceful citizens as a human shield. So he calls the Ukrainian government Nazis. It's amazing that this guy would call anyone else basically a fascist. He accuses the Ukrainian government of human shields. He's bombing apartment buildings. That's where civilians live and sleep. You have children in bunkers under the streets to try to survive. To call that human shields or to accuse the Ukrainian government of employing that tactic of human shields is just appalling and I think false on its face. It's not fooling anyone except apparently some percentage of his own population. We know that there's some word percolating out about what's really happening because what the Ukrainians are doing is when Russians surrender, many of them are just untrained, quasi-literate kids, 18, 19 years old. They are treating them as well as they can, and they're letting them call their families. They're even introducing this proposal where mothers can come pick up their captured sons in Kiev. They're trying to force the Russian people to actually see what's happening because the government in Moscow is trying to prevent them from knowing the extent of what's happening, why it's happening, etc. So some of that word of mouth is spreading, but in the Russian media, they are not portraying what's happening even close to accurately. And so there was actually a really interesting story about, and this was at BBC, Kids who are in Ukraine, like in Kiev, calling their parents at home in Russia saying the Russians are bombing this city and the parents just don't believe them. No, that can't be happening. You're exaggerating. Our government, would, our military, our Putin, he would never do such a thing. Well, he is. You heard that soundbite from him saying, oh, I've always believed that we're one people. That's an echo of Putin saying he doesn't believe Ukraine's a real country, but even if you take him at his word, which you should never do, he's saying, oh, yes, these are our people. Well, he's bombing, in that case, his own people into submission, or he's trying to, while calling them Nazis. President Zelensky, who's an actually you know, elected leader, he continues to appeal for help from the West. Here's part of what he said in Cut 3. If you don't have the strength and courage to close the sky, then give me the planes. If we fall, God forbid, next will be Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. So he's, in this case, asking for fighter jets that were 
actually promise him, by the way, if you're a regular Guy Benson Show listener and have been for a while, you might have recognized the translation voice there. That was Max, our engineer for a long time. He was, I guess they used his dulcet tones to translate the words and read the English version of what Zelensky said. But what Zelensky is saying is if you're not going to do a no-fly zone and help us close the skies, which would be an act of war, that's the thing. If NATO or the United States enforced a no-fly zone, but this is what we've talked about with some of our guests in recent days, and there's any confrontation whatsoever with Russians, you know, in, in a, some sort of a dogfight or anything, that then becomes a war with Russia, which is why enforcing a no-fly zone is not really a realistic option here, unless you want war with Russia, which basically no one wants at all. So Zelensky is saying, if you're not willing to do that, at least give us the planes so we can do it ourselves and we can fight them up there. The EU had promised them those planes and then reneged for various reasons. So I would imagine that Zelensky would be quite frustrated. And you can hear the intensity in his voice. His, you can hear sort of in the background is Zelensky's speaking voice. It is an extremely desperate situation, and he needs as many resources as he can get to try to overcome this threat from a much larger force, although they have their hands full, the Russians do, with the people of Ukraine who are experiencing the brutality firsthand, and they're extremely patriotic, and they are not going to simply crumble. They are going to fight tooth and nail basically forever, which is why I keep wondering what the end game is here. One other note that I want to bring to you on this, which is related to a point I made a moment ago about the disinformation happening inside Russia for the domestic audience there. BBC has put out a statement announcing that they are now suspending their journalistic endeavors their journalistic operation in Moscow because of new legislation passed by the Russian government. Here's a statement in part from the BBC. This legislation appears to criminalize the process of independent journalism. It leaves us no other option than to temporarily suspend the work of all BBC News journalists and their uh, support staff within the Russian Federation while we assess the full implications of this unwelcome development. And our colleague here at Fox News, John Roberts, says the only reason the government criminalizes journalism, independent journalism, is because they do not want people to know the truth. And ain't that the truth about Vladimir Putin and the Russian government, this regime, as they pound and pound away on this neighboring country, a democracy with a legitimate government, including Increasingly, it seems, the targeting of civilians. An absolute disgrace and a humanitarian tragedy of a massive scale. And there are frightening and weighty questions about what might come next. We will get into some of that with a number of our guests today, including Congressman Gallagher, Senator Blackburn, and many more to come. In the meantime, since we're just getting started on the show, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. It is Friday on The Guy Benson Show. Very pleased that you're with us. Stay tuned. The Guy Benson Show. More next. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. Our colleague Trey Yinks, who is in Ukraine, just tweeted minutes ago that there are air raid sirens going off in Kiev, the capital city. Not unusual, chillingly, but this is ongoing, right? We might be thinking, okay, it's Friday here, the weather's nice here, the weekend's coming up. Over there, this is the terrifying, ongoing reality. Now, I saw a story in the Times of London that Zelensky, the Ukrainian leader, has apparently survived three attempted assassination efforts in just a matter of days, and that these would-be assassinations were thwarted in each case. And the Times of London reporting that in each case, each time, they have been thwarted, quote, by anti-war elements within Russia's Federal Security Service, so the FSB, that's Russian intelligence. A source close to the group said that it has been, quote, eerie how well-briefed Zelensky's security team appeared to be. Now, there was something similar to this in the news just within the last couple days. We talked about it yesterday. That was at least one assassination attempt that we heard that Zelensky was able to get away from and some of the would-be assassins were, were killed, was at least the implication. Now they're saying this has happened three times and that in each case it's happening in each incident. It appears, or at least is being told to the world, that Russian intelligence, at least elements, like rogue elements of Russian intelligence, are in on it. They're helping Zelensky. They're helping the Ukrainians. They don't want this war. They would, I would imagine, don't want to make a martyr out of Zelensky. And so they're feeding intel to the Ukrainians to help him evade death from these hit squads. I would love for this to be true. I would love for every word of that to be true. I also just want to say, as I did on Monday, I think we have to try to be critically thoughtful about this. That just seems a little too on the nose. I'm just skeptical is all I'm saying. If you were the Ukrainians in a fight for your life, a fight for survival, information warfare is part of it, that type of chaos, that type of uh, sort of manipulation, propaganda, if you will, would probably sow discord among your enemies and boost morale on your side. I just, I have my antenna up about that story. We'll keep watching it. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. We continue on the Guy Benson Show. Delighted to have you each here every day, 3 to 6 Eastern. GuyBensonShow.com podcast always free if you miss any of it. So we are now on day three of a very different crisis. 
involving Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. We played this sort of almost like as a quick throwaway segment. Like, it wasn't a, a long monologue or anything. It was like a, a minor little, you know, Twitter dust-up, it seemed, earlier in the week. But this has become a multi-day story. It's been dragged into a multi-day story by the Democrats and the Democrats in the media. So both different, you know, official Democrats and then, you know, media journo Democrats because they hate Ron DeSantis. They hate everything that he does. They are scared of him. They're worried he's going to win a big reelection in Florida. They're worried he can uh, run nationally and, and beat them. So everything he does is scrutinized to the nth degree. And if there is a moment to go crazy about something, they do. And what they've selected this time, if you missed it, it was DeSantis. He was showing up some some event at University of South Florida. And there were a bunch of kids standing behind his podium. All of them were wearing masks. Someone obviously had told them to wear masks, so they're all wearing masks. And he walks up, and I think he recognizes if Governor Mask Optional is going to be surrounded by kids wearing masks, it's going to be an optics thing, and people are going to come after him for that. So he tells the kids, well, you can hear for yourself. It's a short soundbite. Here's what he says as he approaches the cameras and the microphones. He knows he's on camera. They go, hot mic, caught him. No, he knew exactly what he was doing. Here's what he said, cut 19. You do not have to wear those masks. I mean, please take them off. <laughs> Honestly, it's not doing anything, and we got to stop with this COVID theater. So if you want to wear it, fine, but this is, a, this is ridiculous. And then he began his remarks. You don't have to wear those masks. You hear some people laugh. They chuckle. Some of the kids take the masks off, smiling. Some of them don't. He says, if you want to keep them on, you can. But the theater is ridiculous. So we broke it down. He's, you know, he's right on the merits. These are very low-risk people, a very low-efficacy mitigation, cloth masks in particular. And this became, I mean, you would think he went down the line, based on some of the coverage, that he went down the line to personally, physically insult each kid. It's like, oh, you know, you've got some acne and you could lose a few pounds. And this is the way they treated that, what you just heard. Like he was bullying these kids. So the media just did their thing, cut 20. Republican governor of Florida today, Ron DeSantis, berating high school kids berating. for wearing masks at his indoor news conference. Oh wow. Lord, where was that guy raised? He's so in a barn? mean. I mean, serious. No, I'm serious. Was that, that guy was... raised in a barn? I mean, seriously, this is this is a question I asked. Who raised him? This is the governor of your state, and it's televised. Like, you're on video. It's going to go everywhere. These kids are at an age where people already tease and bully, and, like, now you just, you saw that girl, like, scrambling to take hers off. Like, what do I do? I, I just found to say that to a bunch of minors. One kid looked at them like, shut up. Yeah. I like that kid. There, there were some kids that did not take off their masks, and I thought, that's damn yeah. good parenting right there. Does that bear any resemblance to what you just heard. I know some, it's like this is almost like a Rorschach test, I guess. Does that bear any resemblance to what you heard DeSantis say? Bullying, berating, who raised this man? Some kids didn't do it. Yeah, he told them they didn't have to. But play it again. Cut 19. Listen to the actual words. You do not have to wear those masks. I mean, please take them off. <laughs> Honestly, it's not doing anything, and we got to stop with this COVID theater. So if you want to wear it, fine, but this is, a, this is ridiculous. If you want to wear it, fine, this is ridiculous, and he goes on, and they're treating it like the mean girl's burn book. 
from from Ron DeSantis. So they caught up, and this is what they do. Now the media is tracking down the kids. What did you think? How did you feel? They asked one of the kids, did you feel pressured? And he stood there for like 10 seconds, silent, not sure what to say, almost as if he was being pressured and bullied by the journalists. What answer do they want to hear? Did I feel bullied by Ron DeSantis? I don't know. He was one who took his mask off and smiled, but his mom was big mad about it. By the way, she, as a parent, has a right to make these calls for her kid. She wants the kid wearing his mask. Apparently, he doesn't really want to be wearing the mask, but mom is mom. She was very mad about this. Media found her. So here she is teeing off. Cut 28. It's just shocking that the governor told these kids, take off your mask. He pretty much said, take off your mask. is stupid. And take off your mask. Your parents don't matter. Even though I'm, I'm telling you, parents matter. And he's telling my minor child to take off his mask. He's putting us at risk. So, oh, oh yeah, to- I was upset, very upset. Yeah, very, very upset. Totally shocked, says this woman. Putting, putting them at risk. She's, he said parents didn't matter. He, th- did you hear any of that? Like, wh- am I taking crazy pills? Now, by the way, you can't see it because it's radio, but in that soundbite, in that clip I just played for you, the kid, the boy is wearing a mask. It appears that they're outside. He's wearing a mask. Mom isn't. So she wants her low-risk child masked, apparently, her prerogative, but her not so much. <laughs> I mean, okay. I, it's, I feel like it's just this became a thing. And they decided, oh, here's a chance to get DeSantis. We're going to say that he was bullying and that he was forcing the kids and taking away their choice and insulting their parents or whatever, berating. And they all went with it. That's what they do. They all stampede together over and over again. So before we get to our guest, one more soundbite. Here's DeSantis responding to all of this. Last night on Tucker, cut 21. None of the adults were wearing masks, and it seemed to me that someone told those kids they had to do it. So I just wanted to make it very clear, they do not need to be doing it. Obviously, in Florida, it's a free state. You can do it. But I think it's also important to point out that there's no reason to do it uh, for, for young and healthy kids, especially. And in the state of Florida, we never had a mask mandate, of course. But our guidance from our health department is not to wear these cloth masks. And I think it needs to be said because people have been lied to for two years. And so I was uh, I didn't want it to be thinking that like they were told to do this by me because I certainly wouldn't do that. And, you know, they talk about, oh, by letting someone have a choice to take off their mask and welcoming that choice, that that's somehow bullying. Tucker, bullying is locking kids out of school, which they did. Bullying is forcing kids to wear masks for eight hours a day, which they did for two years and are only stopping now because the polling's changed. Okay, so now joining us on day three of this crisis in Florida, as we broadcast from the state of Florida today, is Charlie Hurt, opinion editor at The Washington Times and Fox News contributor. Charlie, am I losing my mind or is this crazy? Yeah, I think I think we're all losing our mind. Um, And uh, and some of us uh, have little choice about it, because, of course, um, when other when everybody around you starts losing their mind, you uh, you 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 can't help but ask yourself, am I am I the crazy person here or (laughs) are these people? Um, But but this is what passes as a political scandal these days. 
when when a politician goes out and publicly says exactly what he has said, or, or, or in this case, privately says what he has always been saying publicly the entire time, it's a scandal. It's like it's like when Trump gave his inaugural address and says, "Yeah, I ran on all these things. I'm going to keep all of my campaign promises." Washington freaked out. Ron DeSantis says, "You're free to wear masks. You don't have to wear masks. They don't work. It's useless. It's stupid. It's theater." And then he says it in private. Oh my gosh, it's a scandal. So yeah, I think we're all losing our minds. But for for some of us, it's like just it's an infected insanity because we're around other people who've lost their minds. And here's the other thing about this, Charlie, because I know some people are saying, well, it's not the words that he said. It was the tone. I mean, again, I think some of this is just a Rorschach test of are you someone who's tired of the theater and the nonsense or are you not? And if you are tired of it, you're like, yes, thank you for saying that. The kids laughed. But more than half of them took their masks off because they wanted to. The other ones didn't because they didn't want to. And everyone moved on. And here we are, day three. It's an 18-second clip. We're on day three of this. And what struck me about the end of that point that DeSantis made last night on Fox News, the people who are going crazy about bullying kids supposedly here are the people who defended until basically yesterday or like four days ago the forced masking of children in schools for eight hours a day for months on end. Many of them were advocating the schools being closed for much of that time, and they were in a lot of places. That is actually abusive towards kids. That is actual bullying and coercion through pseudoscience and regulation using the force of law. That is what they did for months on end. And now DeSantis briefly mentioning that they don't have to wear the masks and it's theater, but they can keep it on if they want. Now people are concerned about bullying kids. They are the most coercive people out there when it comes to this issue and children. And it just, it feels to me like a lot of total lack of self-awareness and in fact projection, right? This feels like psychological projection. Yeah, totally. No, it's total projection. And it is amazing to think about what it is they're trying to, Say They're trying to say that those of us who don't wish to wear a mask are somehow imposing upon all of these people who not only want to wear a mask, but want to or or may or may not want to wear a mask, by the way, but more importantly, want to force everyone around them to wear a mask. And and you're scratching your head saying, wait a minute, I'm not the one who's imposing anything here. I just don't want to wear a mask. I don't need to wear a mask. I've read the science. I've studied it. Right. I, I actually There's care no about science my for it, especially for kids. Yeah. But but it but it's it's kind of interesting. So for for months now, uh, my you know my personal uh, you know effort to fight for our country is to simply um, I don't let people get away with signs anymore. If you are if I walk into your store and you want me to wear a mask. You're going to have to come around the cash register, walk up to me and say, please wear a mask, at which point I say, I don't have one, but I'm delighted to wear one if you have one. And then they give it to me, and I, I'll, I gladly put it on. Yeah. The problem, And then, of course, when I leave, I go to take it off and go give it back to them and offer to let them recycle it and give it to the next person that doesn't have one. And then, and then they tell me they don't recycle. And then I give them a little lecture about the importance of recycling, but oh, whatever. <laughs> the problem is, that, at some point, trolling. we – we, 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 you know, we, you get impatient with it. 
And you can't ever get impatient when you're trying to win people over. You have to stay there and be sort of you, you have to work with them and and be very kindly about it. I think maybe at some point you have to, to you have to. But but I'm but I'm a big believer in like Gandhi and and uh, Martin Luther King that doing things in a mannerly way is probably more effective. And but but I have to say I I relate to DeSantis when he gets up there and he gets exasperated. Is like oh my gosh, not with the masks, please. You don't have to wear the mask. And, and, and I say it all the time. And he, and he did, by the drive. way, just to – I think that's a good word. He did sound a little exasperated, but he didn't sound yeah. rude to me. And I, I, no, I'm, he, I, I have but, antenna up. If, it were, if I thought it was rude, I would say it was rude. I don't think it yeah. was rude. And it didn't seem like it was perceived that way by the kids who laughed at what he said. And by the way, one more thing on this, and our guest is Charlie Hurd. If you think I'm exaggerating that the media has continued to turn this into like a multi-day story, here's NBC Nightly News. Uh, one of their correspondents just tweeted out that uh, she interviewed Rochelle Walensky, who's the CDC director, and they've just been changing science left and right. I mean, they, they changed the science months ago because the teachers' unions told them to. Then they changed the science again because the White House told them to. There was a State of the Union coming up. This woman is not good at her job. But NBC News decided to ask Dr. Walensky about the DeSantis video. Like, the CDC director really needs to weigh in on that soundbite that we just played on the show. And uh, here is what uh, what Walensky said in response, quote, Those students should have been comfortable wearing a mask if it makes them more comfortable. It's absolutely their choice. Okay, this is the woman who was anti-choice on masking of children until like seven hours ago or something and now she's a huge advocate for just you know it's it's your comfort level it's your choice they absolutely had the right to do that no one said otherwise including DeSantis explicitly Charlie talk me off the ledge here just I feel like I'm going crazy again well so that's exactly the point is that what she said is exactly what DeSantis said so why don't we have a fit about her? Yeah, is that she's right? bullying? Is this a bullying yeah. answer from How? Dr. Rochelle Walensky? Yeah, I mean it's insane, but this is where we are, and and this is where and I I really do think that you know for for the past year, all these people have been in withdrawal from Trump because Trump isn't in office and they can't freak out about all that stuff. And so now they've been freaking out. And, and I guess the new thing is that they're going to move over and start freaking out about, about Ukraine. And, and that will re- replace the, the mass uh, hysteria over the, and, and quite frankly, I welcome it. Um, you know, not only is the U- Ukraine situation far more serious uh, right now, uh, that, but, uh, but at least it'll, at least it'll be something else to listen to them jaw about. It, it, it really does. It's like, it's like water torture in a prison. Yeah, yes. We, it's like we interrupt this coverage of the war to bring you the latest take on Ron DeSantis telling children they don't have to wear masks, uh, but, t- but saying that they, they could if they want to. We, we, we break into the breaking news with another breaking news about one crisis inside a crisis. I mean, that's how ridiculous it feels to me. I can't believe that we have spent as much time on this show talking about this thing as we have. But there's just an avalanche out there from the mainstream press. So we're going to push back here. And joining us in the pushing back department today, Charlie Hurt. 
opinion editor at the Washington Times, Fox News contributor. Charlie, always appreciate it. Have a good weekend, sir. You too, buddy. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come right back. Some economic news today. That's next. The Guy Benson Show. We are back on the Guy Benson Show, and we got the February jobs report in today. And overall, it's a pretty good one with a couple clear exceptions. So here's the headline from the Wall Street Journal. Strong hiring, low unemployment, point to economy making post-pandemic pivot. But, in the subheadline, rising oil prices and looming rate interests, uh, rate increases rather from the Fed, pose new threats to the jobs recovery. In February, 678,000 jobs were added. So that was a big beat on expectations. The unemployment rate fell to 3.8%, so getting closer to the really good numbers that we had just before the pandemic, which is uh, obviously great. One of the uh, other elements of this that was strong was people re-entering the workforce. So a lot to smile about in the jobs report for February. What is concerning, though, aside from what's coming from the Fed and increased inflation that is very much uh, biting and projected to continue for some time, is wages in this report were stagnant. And if you've got sort of wages not continuing to rise to even even come close to keeping up with inflation, that means that the pain of inflation is going to continue to get worse. And that is, I think, one of the biggest challenges facing the economy right now. And it seems like it's with us, at least for the time being, perhaps months to come. So a good report with a dark lining as well. Another hour coming up. From the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show. It's a brand new hour on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday from warm and sunny Palm Beach, Florida. Very happy to be here. Very happy to have you along. It's the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is always free. You can follow us on social at Guy Benson Show. That's Twitter. That's Instagram as well. Fox News alert as we enter our middle hour. The Dow rallies a little bit at the end of the day ahead of the close, but still finishes in the red, down 179 to 33,614. With us now is Congressman Mike Gallagher, Republican of Wisconsin in their 8th Congressional District in the Badger State. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee, among others. And, Congressman, welcome back. Good to be back. I want to start by playing an exchange that you had this week in a hearing at the aforementioned House Armed Services Committee. And I'll play it for the audience, and then you can sort of add the context of what the significant was in, uh, significance was, rather, in your mind. Let's listen to Cut 29. But if we're doing integrated deterrence very incredibly well in Ukraine, it raises a second question, which is, what did we deter? Uh, excellent question, I suppose. Um, so we're deterring uh, any 
expansion into the NATO territories that we're committed to defend. But in a very real sense, I think, would it be fair to say deterrence? We failed to deter Putin from invading, correct? Oh, absolutely. All right, Congressman, that we did not edit that. That was a very long pause. Explain <laughs> what led up to that. And you seemed a little taken aback by what they were asserting, these uh, military officials. Just give us some color there. Well, the the Navy was, was trying to make the argument in response to a previous question that what we're seeing in Ukraine is actually a successful example of what they're calling integrated deterrence. This word integrated deterrence is important because this is the intellectual foundation of what will be the national defense strategy. And I've made the argument previously that integrated deterrence is a fancy word that is allows them to justify cutting hard power. They're basically arguing that they can integrate non-military instruments of power and technology into military activity and therefore save money over the long term. I think it's a bogus argument. And for them to be asserting that what we've seen in Ukraine is a validation of their entire approach rather than yet another failure, I just don't think works. Now, to be fair to the admiral, it's not his job to write the national defense strategy. So, uh, you know, he's he's getting that from his civilian bosses. And my primary argument is with them. But notwithstanding some of the positive developments we've seen from Germany, uh, what seems to be a more unified position among the West on economic sanctions, the fact is that deterrence fails in this case. We approached this whole thing with the idea that by threatening sanctions and with some sternly worded tweets and statements, we could deter Vladimir Putin, and that didn't work. Okay, we should seek to understand that failure rather than pretending it's actually a success. So that's that's my only point, and I, and I think the fact that um, the military can't really answer questions about integrated deterrence shows that it, it's yeah. an intellectually bankrupt concept. Well, we could have inserted like a little commercial break in between your question and his attempt at starting an answer. I mean, that was like it felt I mean, it felt like 10 seconds. Maybe it wasn't quite that long, but it felt that way uh, because, I mean, look, it was an obvious question to ask, but it was a stumper at the same time. And I'm glad that you sort of fleshed it out for us, what led up to that and the point you were trying to make. Meanwhile, Congressman, on a similar subject, I just saw within the last hour a new poll from Reuters asking the American people about various efforts that the U.S. could take and NATO could take against Russia as they've invaded Ukraine and continue to bombard civilian targets uh, with a goal apparently of just taking over the country no matter how many people they kill. And interesting, very large bipartisan majorities, 80 percent of Americans, solid majorities of Republicans and Democrats say the U.S. should stop buying Russian oil, which we have not done yet. And the White House keeps saying, well, it's only 10 percent of our imports. This is also an administration, of course, that's hostile to domestic energy production, which is part of the problem. But the same poll also found, similarly bipartisan across the board, 74 percent, nearly three out of four Americans, believe the United States and NATO should impose a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which is what Zelensky has been asking for. 
My position is I'm, I'm all in favor of number one, even though I think it could cause a little bit of additional pain at the pump. Uh, I wish that we would open up our drilling and our pipelines and all of that stuff here, and we'd stop having leadership that was uh, basically handcuffed to the environmental lobby on some of this stuff. I'm, I'm in favor of not giving Russia our money in the middle of all of this and funding their war by buying their oil. Sign me up for that. I am much more skeptical of the no-fly zone because it sounds like uh, maybe a good compromise solution here, but I worry that in practice that's war with Russia, which we don't want. I just wonder what you make of that as a veteran and also a member of the House Armed Services Committee. Well, on the first point, um, while it may only be 10% of our imports, it's tens of millions of dollars for the Russian war machine every single day. And for the administration to minimize that, I think, is is wrong. Now, what concerns me, as much as I have been saying we should put sanctions in place on the front end and we should get more aggressive economically, it strikes me that you can launch a global economic war against Russia, but you can't do it successfully if you're also engaged in a war on domestic American energy production. Like those two things don't add up. So in order to be successful, we're going to have to unleash the full power of American energy ascendance, and we're not doing that right now because well, we've handcuffed. Biden I mean, right? We were we were just a few years ago in the previous administration a net exporter of exactly. fuel and and of and of energy resources, and we have made a decision. By we, I mean the the new Biden administration has made a decision to roll back the clock, turn back the clock on that. They're captive to the climate left, uh, and until they break that basic fact, and until they tell John Kerry to stop saying things anywhere in any international fora, I think our policies are going to be contradictory, uh, and Americans are going to be paying the price at the pump that they don't need to pay. And they can't just say that increased prices at the pump are a function of the war in Ukraine, because obviously this is happening prior to this. So that's Mm -hmm. how I feel about point one. On point two, I actually agree with you. Uh, A no-fly zone is not only a very complicated operation that requires significant air and ground assets, by the way, to be effective. Uh, and I don't, you, I don't even know logistically if we could do it in time for it to be effective. Also, the Russians have yet to, to uh, establish air supremacy over Ukraine, so I'm not sure there's an urgency for it. But you're right, it would be an act of war, unquestionably an act of war. And I think at this point, our focus needs to be on how can we arm the Ukrainians to the teeth to ensure that this turns into a costly, drawn-out quagmire for uh, the Russians. Now, that being said, Guy, I, I, there's a bit of a, a narrative out there that, you know, because of the bravery we've seen from the Ukrainian people, and it, it's been real, it's been inspiring, I think it's given the West a second chance on this issue, that somehow the Russians are doomed to fail, uh, I'm not sure that's true. The Russians are clearly willing to take enormous casualties, suffer enormous costs. That's one thing the Russian military has proven quite good at doing over the last 100 years. It's just advancing forward in the face of enormous costs. And so we are in the early innings of this conflict, and it's much too soon to declare victory uh, just because of because Putin has, not fa- has failed to secure Kyiv in the first week of the war. 
Meanwhile, Congressman, I want to talk to you about another related subject, and I've been banging the drum on this for a couple days, and I feel like it's really not getting enough attention. And I get it. I mean, there's a lot happening. There's a war on. It's very serious stuff. This might feel, to some extent, like a second-tier issue, but it's not, in my view. And that is what's happening in Vienna and the Iran negotiations. So... We were aware that the Biden team desperately wanted to get back into the nuclear deal with Iran. Uh, I thought it was a terrible deal in the first place under Obama for all sorts of reasons. I thought it was uh, fatally flawed from the get-go. President Trump pulled us out of it. Biden wants to undo what Trump did and get back into it. So he sent his team over to Vienna to negotiate with Iran, but not directly because the Iranians won't talk to us. They will only talk to us through the Russians. So we have Russian diplomats, Kremlin diplomats, on our behalf discussing this. The idea that they would have our best interests at heart is crazy, but they are the ones, the conduit, uh, engaged in these negotiations with this extremely virulently anti-American regime. And the reports coming out of these negotiations, if you can even call them that, it just sounds like like, like a total landslide for the Iranians right now, is that we are going to lift a bunch of sanctions and give a bunch of people immunity and take people off terror lists and all this stuff, send billions of dollars potentially uh, soon over to the Iranians in exchange for basically nothing at all. And a a sort of revised, reinstituted Obama-era deal that's even worse than the first one was. And, I mean, it's so bad, as I reported yesterday, and this has been out there for a couple of weeks, three members of Biden's own team quit. They, they left in protest because it was such a lopsided giveaway to the Iranians. There's just a number of different things that are going through my head about this, Congressman, just the fact that on the substance it sounds like an absolute debacle where we are rewarding some of the very worst people in the world, the worst state sponsor of terrorism, and giving them – Almost everything that they're asking for, getting nothing in return, they still have their nuclear program on track. And to add insult to injury, we're treating the Russians not like pariahs, but as you know, needed, indispensable diplomats who are doing our work for us on this, even in the midst of the invasion of Ukraine. And last but not least, this is all out of view of the American people and even the American Congress. You guys don't yeah. have specific real-time intelligence about what they're negotiating because it's all done in secret. All we know is people are resigning in protest, and some of the leaks coming out of it are saying this is a disaster of epic proportions. I mean, this would be terrible, Congressman, under any other circumstances. Within the context of what's happening in the world right now with China and Russia and Iran forming this new access and the way China's been behaving and now the way Russia is conducting itself, uh, I, I'm at a loss to believe that this is what is occurring, but evidently it is. Your reaction, I know I threw a lot at you there, your reaction generally to this, and if you think I mischaracterize anything based on your knowledge, feel free to correct me, and then most importantly, what can be done? If they're trying to cut Congress out of this like they did last time under Obama, is there anything that can be done? Because the the Russians are saying this could be resolved within a few days by the end of the weekend. The State Department seems very excited. Oh, yeah, we might be back in a nuclear deal within a couple days, 48 hours. That would involve billions of dollars going to terrorists. Is there anything that can be done to stop this? 
Well, the first point, the president promised to turn Vladimir Putin into an international pariah, as you said. Well, that was quite clearly a lie if this moves forward, not only because we are negotiating through the Russians, but because an Iran deal will benefit Russia, which wants to supply uranium and sell weapons to Iran and is benefits if our traditional alliance structure in the Middle East uh, is diminished by a rising Iran post-Iran deal. And the other way they're connected, guys, is I guarantee you part of the argument they're going to make for the deal is that because oil is at $110 a barrel, we need to flood the international market with a million to two million barrels a day of Iranian crude which isn't currently on the market because of a variety of sanctions. So they're intimately connected, and it completely undermines everything the president has said over the last week on Russia, and it will destroy our opportunity to move forward in a bipartisan fashion to restore American strength and American deterrence. On the question of what can be done. Oh, and oh, by the way, the, arg- the other argument they'll, they'll make is that maximum pressure under the Trump administration failed, and this is our only option. Totally bogus argument. Most of the advances that the Iranians have made in their program after getting out of the JCPOA came after January 20th, 2021, when President Biden abandoned maximum pressure in favor of maximum appeasement with respect to Iran. So do not buy that argument at all. What can be done? Well, there is a law on the books called the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act, which says the administration has to submit any deal to Congress for review and for a vote, and it's an open question as to whether the administration is going to even comply with that law. If they don't, they will argue that, well, this isn't a new deal. It's just the 2015 deal, the JCPOA. Also not true. This is going to be way worse than the 2015 deal. It is going to be far more generous to the Iranians and far less restrictive on their nuclear program. And, oh, by the way, most of the so-called sunset provisions in the 2015 deal have already expired. Right, or they're coming right up. That's the thing. And the the old deal was bad enough. This one's going to be worse by all accounts. And by the time Congress gets a look at it, the billions of dollars might already have flowed to the Iranians. Just a disaster. We've got to leave it there. Congressman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin. Congressman, thank you. All right, we will step aside. We'll be right back. Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. We continue here on The Guy Benson Show. This news broke this morning. Let me read to you from the Wall Street Journal, Dateline, Washington. The United States Supreme Court on Friday reinstated the death sentence for Jokar Sarnayev, convicted in the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing that killed three people and wounded hundreds more. An appeals court had set aside Sarnayev's sentence in 2020, finding that the trial judge erred in excluding mitigating evidence that suggested the, de- uh, the defendant's elder brother was more culpable for the attack and limiting the questions defense attorneys could ask prospective jurors about their exposure to news accounts of the crime. But by a 6-3 to three vote, the Supreme Court found neither issue undermined the jury's decision to recommend death. Quote, Jokar Sarnayev committed heinous crimes, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote for the court. The Sixth Amendment nonetheless guarantees him a fair trial before an impartial jury He received one, end quote. So it was Thomas, 
Chief Justice Roberts, and then Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett, who were the six who voted to reinstate the death penalty for the Boston terrorist, the marathon bomber. All three of the court's leftists dissented and would spare his life. So that is a big change, and this terrorist is in all likelihood now going to be put to death. I am, for the most part, against the death penalty for various reasons, not in this case. And it appears that the Supreme Court got it right. Guy Benson Show continues after this. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. It's Fridays with Cat on the Guy Benson Show. Cat Temp now joins us, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld, every weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Fox News Channel, co-host of the podcast Tyrus and Timp. Cat, great to have you back here. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Look, I, I really care about you guys. I am I'm reporting live right now from a bodega in the city because, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so. you know, I'm, I'm off, you know, haven't have, been working. And my sister's in town, so we went to the dog park to, you know, have, you know, Carl have some playtime with some other puppies. And then we, you know, stopped at a bar on the way back. I only had one Michelob Ultra, so I got to stay fresh for this interview, obviously. Oh, yes. But it was too loud in there. And I was like, you know, what am I going to do? I got to talk to Guy Benson on the Guy Benson show. Uh-huh. So I'm like loitering around this bodega. I'm over here by the um, Ajax Ultra and Paul Olive Essential Queen original. Uh, just hoping I don't get kicked out of here. So, well, that is. Thank it's you for all of that. Outside. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. that description. It's it's very important to know all of that. Um, I'm glad that you've shown restraint with just one. Michelob Ultra prior to coming on well, the air. Not, that means a lot. Yeah, well, that's not air. That, that's not alcohol. You know that it reminds me. I was in uh, the Czech Republic years ago, and I was meeting with some friends. And this guy arrived from Germany, and he wanted us. It was like. 11 in the morning, and this German pulled out, like, out of his luggage, schnapps, like a bottle of schnapps, and he wanted us to take shots at 11 a.m. or whatever it was. And I looked at him, and I was like, I, I really don't want to take um, any shots right now. And he was judging me. I said, you know what? I'll, I'll order a beer. And he looked at me with such disgust and disdain, and this German said to me, a beer is a drink for children and pregnant ladies. Well, you know, I'm not pregnant, okay, um, and I'm not a child, but I did have to respect Guy Benson and the Guy Benson show. Thank and you, also, yes. And also, schnapps is not a shot. I, I mean, I agree. I, I, want, I wanted no part of it. And I, I just, I'm glad that, you know, we're a serious program, and we do serious right. things here, and occasionally we, we don't, and I'm glad that, that you tolerate us and and vice versa i do want to ask you you mentioned that you haven't been working that's because with the breaking news coverage and the war coverage gutfeld has been on sort of like a sabbatical uh and the 11 p.m hour has been hard news um for fans of the gutfeld program uh is there a sense of when that will return does it sort of depend on how the war continues to unfold and when it's non-war topics going through your head is there just a, a vast cache of jokes that you have not been able to make? Is it killing you? It is killing me. Uh, I don't know. I think Monday. Um, and, you know, of course, this all happened when we went down to Dallas. <laughs> so we had right. two shows that, you know, are already done that were great. 
if I may say so. And, yeah, my buddies you know, were there. They had a great time. Delighted. Yeah, they were there on, I believe, Monday, though, right? So that they one were. Hurt. They made it, yeah. Um, but we, we haven't had any gut felt since Tuesday. And, you know, I mean, hey, uh, it's impossible to know, right? It's obviously a devastating situation. Um, but, yeah, it was especially juxtaposed with all the excitement we had about Dallas and let's go and then uh, let's not. Yeah, I mean, world events are what they are, right? You can't control them. Of course. You said it's, it's a devastating yeah. situation in Ukraine. It also was personal for Greg and his family. Yeah. Uh, we talked yeah. about it a little bit yesterday, but give us some of the behind the scenes there. Well, yeah, I mean, his mother-in-law was, you know, in Ukraine, and she's now in uh, Poland. He, he worked hard. With, he was able to get her out with, you know, people at Fox. I mean, you know, Trey Ginks is an absolute star. OK. And, uh, you know, we work with a lot of really wonderful people, but obviously that's it, it's been about as personal as it gets uh, when it comes to Greg's situation. So obviously, um, you know, he, he could explain it better than I could. But, it, you know, it, it's not easy to get someone out of a war zone. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, she's safe and, you know, she's with um, her daughter now. So. It's uh, it's certainly been uh, crazy. It's just certainly been crazy. And again, it's, it's just it, absolutely nuts. Well, for the next 10 or so minutes, my goal is to help get your mind off of this and onto less serious things by a long shot. And I want to start with this story. I don't like this story quite as much as I did about the Oklahoma Democrat who went to the uh, sleepover party of 13-year-old who girls. Who finally and- admitted it. Yeah, she finally admitted we talked about this on the air. She lied about it for a long time. I wasn't even there. No, she got super drunk, threw up in someone's shoes, and was insulting all the girls. Uh, She she has now conceded that that happened. Just the details of that story were amazing, and we sort of had a field day with it, you and I, here on the air. This one is not quite that caliber, but it's up there. Here's the headline from The Hill. Chicago mayor accused of making obscene remarks and berating lawyers, according to a lawsuit. So let me just read this to you. A lawsuit filed Tuesday claims that Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, a Democrat, prevented a deal between the Chicago Park District and an Italian-American group over a Christopher Columbus statue while making obscene comments to government attorneys. So the allegation here is that I guess they had struck this deal. There will be a Columbus statue. But when Lightfoot learned of the plan, the complaint alleges that she, quote, proceeded to berate and defame the lawyers. Where did you go to law school? Do you even go to law school? Do you even have a law license, she asked. She said, you make some kind of secret agreement with the Italians? Like, she's talking about them like they're a country. You make a secret agreement with the Italians? You You were out there bleeping your bleep. All over the Columbus statue. I have to clean this up because it's radio. It's a family-friendly program. I'm trying to keep uh, okay, Chicago police officers from being shot, and you're trying to get them shot, she added. Lightfoot said, quote, not to do a bleeping thing with that statue without my approval. Get that bleeping statue back before noon tomorrow, or I'm going to have you fired, she allegedly added. Quote, my bleep is bigger than yours and the Italians. I have the ble- I have the biggest bleep in Chicago. End quote. This is uh, this is quite something. 
I would say it is quite something, right? I mean, everyone, I would say most people, I'd say every person, even if they're, like, dainty and kind, like, you know, even if they're, like, put forth that they're this, like, reasonable, well-adjusted person, actually much like you, Guy, um, you know, well-adjusted, <laughs> I'm Guy Benson, you know, I'm, I'm, I always got it together. Everyone's had a meltdown, okay? Everyone's had a meltdown. A meltdown can happen from time to time. You can say some things. You want to generally make sure that those don't occur around, like, lawyers. <laughs> Where you can, like, like, what did she think was going to happen with this information? Like, that she was going to be able to have this kind of meltdown, and then it just wouldn't, that, that wouldn't become public? I'm also I, like, trying to figure out, the, and this is where, this is how my mind works. I'm not thinking about the mayor of Chicago, the female mayor of Chicago, saying that her bleep is bigger than anyone's, including the Italians, and that she has the biggest that uh, appendage in the whole city of Chicago. Well, that's okay, because I'm, I'm, I'm a woman also, and I've, I've, I've said that. So I, I'm more interested in what is the logic here that having a statue of Christopher Columbus somewhere is going to get police shot? Cause she yeah, said that. that was a little bit confusing to me. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you uh, explained that I did hear that correctly. Yes, no, I no, that, that's a that thing. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> there were so many bleeps, and I was trying to figure out what the bleeps were. Like, you know, when you're like a kid and you're listening to a song on the radio, and you're like, I know it's naughty because it's bleeps, but what is that word? That's kind of uh-huh. how I felt. So thank you yes. for you know, bringing me back to my childhood. But I'm not seeing the connection. No, I, well, we, we can forward you. We can forward you the article, and then you can all shall be revealed. My guess is you, you think probably. I'm old enough? I don't know. I I I have all faith right. in you. I somehow I'm am only, guessing I'm you have heard these words before. Which is the new twenty. Yeah, probably. What but is that? Thirty thirty three is the new twenty. Yeah, thirty three is the new twenty. I'm going to uh. join the sorority actually as soon as we get off this call. So are you are you like basically trying to defect from millennials to Zoomers? Yeah, although I don't think I'm really Gen Z. I don't really have a Gen Z vibe. No, you have a uh, Gen X vibe. I, I was going to say I have more of a Gen X vibe, actually. Which is a compliment. A vibe. No, I take it I, – I, of course, I take it as a compliment. Okay, good. I want to make sure that's a clarify. Compliment for sure. Meanwhile, next topic, I'm going to play you some audio, and I have to just warn you and the audience, as disturbing as the audio of Mayor Lightfoot may have been if we had it on tape, this is more disturbing – it cannot be unheard. This was a group of mothers who gathered publicly to sing a song that they had written demanding the return of mask mandates. Cut 30. Brace yourself. Mask for loved ones. Mask for friends. It's not about you. Also not hard to do. Just because we're tired doesn't mean it's over. Mandate masks. That's our ass. Masks for seniors. Masks for kids. So I think that was to the tune of Farah Jaka, if that's the correct uh, French song that I'm thinking of there. Uh, Kat, I I would imagine you might have... what What would you have done had you happened upon this performance in public? Because this was on, like the steps of a library or something. probably would have had my own performance in public, quite honestly. Because this whole thing is explained by the sunken cost fallacy. It's the same reason people stay in terrible relationships. It's the same reason people stay in, you know, jobs that they hate. These people have said masks are going to save everything, and they've gone so hard in that direction that when things come out, 
showing that it doesn't make that much of a difference, especially when you're talking about kids, right? Who, again, like, have you ever, like, have these people ever met a two-year-old? I don't know how you get pants on a two-year-old, okay? They're not going to be able to use a mask properly, but they don't want to admit that. So rather than admit that, they're going to do this. And they're going to, you know, try to find a way to connect with other people who are in the same position. And because, you know, there's strength in numbers. And it strengthens everything in numbers, including stupidity. And it wouldn't be, like, it would just be, like, a funny, silly, stupid story if it wasn't for, like, kids that are actually being damaged by this. And, like, mm-hmm. that's, you want to say follow the science? Like, there's a lot of science, you know, towards that. And, by the uh, way, they were wearing ma- in case you're wondering, they were wearing masks outdoors while doing their singing. Super sciency. Yeah, like I, I said this on Gottfeld. It's like wearing, you know, you wear a mask outside. I want to walk up to you and ask you also just wear a condom to the bar because it's about makes just about as much sense. There's never been a recorded transmission of, you know, outside of transmitting COVID. I, there's, there's just no reason for it. And also, I'm still at this bodega, tomatoes, one ninety nine each. Are you kidding me? <laughs> wow, what a deal. Thank you. I was, I was hoping, you know, I was hoping for some play-by-play. I was not ready to say before you played the audio. Look, and they only look like good tomatoes. In what world is a single to- bodega tomato one ninety nine each? Potatoes, one forty nine each for one potato. This is, look, this is Biden's America, and I do not like it. This is a play-by-play inside this bodega. This was not. This is the thing about Fridays with Cat. You never know what you're going to get, and we've we've got a, a like bodega. It's it's like the version of Bodega Cam, just without the camera, because of course uh, here we are on the radio together. Uh, you are see here's here's I'm a professional cat, and I'm going to do what we call a transition here in the business. Uh, you're in this bodega in New York City. Speaking of New York, ah, uh, the former. Governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, who uh, is disgraced and has resigned, of course, uh, for various reasons, uh, he is apparently trying to make a comeback. He has spent ads on cable in New York. He wants to somehow correct the record, quote-unquote, and rehabilitate his image. Uh, And there are reports that he is actively considering some sort of political comeback. I feel like this is the comeback that no one asked for except for him i just want to get as a new yorker an adoptive new yorker your thoughts yeah narcissism is a hell of a drug right because he still somehow you know no matter how many victims come out he says he's the victim so if i think if you're like a true narcissist which he clearly is there's like an explanation in his own mind for every horrible thing that he's done you can talk about the sexual harassment stuff or, you know, all the dead grandparents, right? Uh, or, you know, uh, the misusing of, you know, resources to, like, help him write his book where he millions of dollars. Um, but if you're a true narcissist, you don't believe in the idea of I did something wrong. So this is just him being himself. And now yep. I will ask you, how much do you believe a mango costs in this bodega for one mango? Oh, well, if you're calling it a tomato, you said it was one ninety nine. Yeah. I'm going to guess the mango is going to be... Three forty nine. How did you know? It's exactly three forty nine. Wait, are you serious? Yeah, I'll snap a pick. Wow, this is I. I feel wow. like I've just won the Price Is Right. Price Is Right. You have to go on the Price Is Right. Wow, I mean, it's like a combination of Price Is Right and Supermarket Sweep, the old game show. I don't know why I'm as excited as I am that I just nailed that, but I am that excited. And uh, you, you know what? This is probably the most proud you have ever been of me for any reason. I just want to—I want to hang on to this feeling. 
Because now I think you're a witch. Well, I'm not a witch. I'm you. Oh, well, well that's what a witch would say. Yeah, that's true. That's, well, aren't there, aren't there ways to test that? Like, I, they throw me in the water, and if I sink or something like that, it, I can swim. Let's just, let's, you know what, before this gets any weirder, let's just stop. We're up on a break anyway. Cat <laughs> Tim, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld, which will hopefully return sometime soon. You can catch her on the podcast with Tyrus, Tyrus and Tim, foxnewspodcast.com. Enjoy the bodega. Go have another Michelob Ultra. And you know what, you should probably buy that mango because, I mean, I'm not. I obviously. can't afford it. No one can. Oh, oh that's disappointing. Well, someone's going to buy that mango. It's going to be so ripe and so good. Three forty nine. that's a lot. Inflation, man. All right, Kat. Bad mango. Have a good weekend. You too. (laughs) We'll be right back. Guy Benson will be right back. Back on the Guy Benson show. Well, this is an interesting flashback soundbite. It is then Senator Joe Biden. In 2005, a TV interview talking about potential filibusters of potential Supreme Court nominees at the time. I'll explain some of the uh, surrounding context in a moment. But first, here's Senator Joe. Cut 25. I have no intention to filibuster somebody. It depends on who the president sends. But I could see a circumstance. Mm -hmm. For example, if he set up Edith Jones... I can assure you that would be a very, very, very difficult fight, and she probably would be filibustered. What about what, Janice what a, Rogers Brown, someone uh, excuse else? Me, I'm, 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 I'm not, uh, by the way, I misspoke. I misspoke. Janice Rogers Brown is what I meant to say. Oh, okay. I misspoke. Thank but, you for but, saying But that. wasn't, she, wasn't, she, just, wasn't exactly. she just confirmed, though? How do you invoke the extraordinary circumstances yes. clause of the agreement of the Gang of 14 for somebody who's just why. been confirmed? Because a circuit court of a judge is bound by stare decisis. They don't get to make new law. They have to abide by the, for example, she So, so what you're saying is the Supreme a, Court's different than different the ballgame. Right. Okay. Totally different ballgame. All right. So a couple things to unpack there from Uncle Joe there, Senator Joe, 2005. First of all, notice he was talking about filibustering judges, which, as we know, based on the Democrats' own rhetoric these days, isn't that Jim Crow? Isn't that a racist relic? They were using it all the time back then. Then they blew it up, got rid of filibustering judges because it was Obama who was president a few years later, and they wanted to grab some power then. So their own previous strategy of filibusters they got rid of. Then they were mad when Republicans used it against them during the Trump years. But Janice Rogers Brown is the woman that he said would be an example of someone worthy of being filibustered if nominated to the Supreme Court. Janice Rogers Brown is a black woman. Is this racism and sexism from Joe Biden back then? Because he picked a black woman now to the Supreme Court, celebrating it. He would have filibustered this one because of the way that she thinks, which is the point. We'll be right back. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's the happy hour on this Friday from Florida. It's the Guy Benson Show. Very happy to have every one of you on board 
3 to 6 Eastern every weekday, around the clock, on demand on the podcast, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast includes, by the way, bonus Benson on the weekends. GuyBensonShow.com. And this hour is sponsored by our friends at the Finnish Long Drink, which is huge in Florida, expanding four new states as of last week. We told you about that. More to come. It is delicious. Now, it's only for adults, 21 plus only, please. Always drink responsibly. You can find out where it's sold near you. You can order online a crisp citrus soda with premium liquor. It's good, and it's unlike anything else out there. I'm just telling you. TheLongDrink.com is their website. The longdrink.com. Joining me now is U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican of Tennessee. She serves on a number of committees. I mentioned at the top of the show, a number of them are very relevant to the news cycle, commerce, armed services, and judiciary. She also has written the book, The Mind of a Conservative Woman, and she also hosts a podcast called Freedom Rings. And she and I had the opportunity to hang out here in Florida earlier today. I interviewed the senator on stage at an event. We had half an hour to talk through a whole bunch of issues. I had a great time. And, Senator, I know we talk over the phone like this on the radio a lot. Seeing you today in person was a treat. Well, it was such a treat to see you and to be on stage with you. And the time just flew. I couldn't believe a half hour passed so quickly. So yeah. thank you yeah, for you sharing we, that time with me. And I was happy to steer the conversation, and then everyone wanted to hear from you. And just last thing I will point out, I love your husband's bow ties. Big fan. <laughs> My husband's bow ties are the best. <laughs> there we go. I, was, I, had to, I had to shout that out before we got into some of this more serious territory, Senator. And, you know, we had half an hour, as you just mentioned, to talk on stage before this audience. We don't have as much time here today, but there's a couple big things that I want to get your thoughts on, starting specifically with Ukraine and what your general thought is on the U.S. response so far to what's happening there. I mean, it's just horrifying to see some of the videos and the reports of what Putin and his forces are doing, uh, taking over, trying to take over that independent country. And there's also, of course, a huge component here at home, energy, energy prices. Your thoughts? Yes. And what we see happening in Ukraine is just devastating. And, of course, the world should show up and support uh, Zelensky and the freedom fighters in Ukraine. And likewise, what we see happening with energy and the cost of energy, you know, uh, gas and oil, we have to remember this. Russia is a great big oil and gas depot with an army, and they do not have an economy if they are not selling oil and gas. So that's kind of the starting point on this. Right now, we have to realize that because Joe Biden shut down Keystone, decided that he was going to end drilling on federal land and leases and stop fracking, We have gone from being an energy exporter to an energy importer at the rate of 670,000 barrels of oil a day. That is per day. Canada has decided they are not going to take Russian oil and have eliminated it from their supply lines. And the U.S. should do likewise and then begin to just strangle Russia's economy. So 
you just mentioned, and I think this is a really important point, that the U.S. went from being a net exporter, which was really an extraordinary accomplishment. How often, for decades, had politicians from both parties talked about energy independence, energy independence? Well, we achieved it, and then we voluntarily surrendered it, and then went back to importing some fuel, including from Russia, including to this day, every day, hundreds of thousands of barrels, millions of dollars, you know, basically flowing back to Russia to fuel their war machine. It seems like a crazy thing to be doing, especially in this moment. Well, it is a crazy thing to be doing. Basically, what Biden is doing is funding Russia's war on Ukraine. And we have to remember this, that uh, Vladimir Putin had said, I want a renewal, a five-year renewal of the New START Treaty. Donald Trump wouldn't give it to him. Donald Trump said, I will give you one year, but it will be with conditions. So that negotiation didn't complete. So Biden comes along and he says, I'll give you five years no conditions. So Putin says, my number two ask is take the sanctions off of Nord Stream. Trump put sanctions on Nord Stream. Don't like them. Get them off. So Biden said, okay, I'll give you Nord Stream. No conditions. So now you have Russia and Putin running into Ukraine because they feel like if there is ever a time to put the old USSR back together, now is the time because Biden is not going to stop them. And we have to realize that the issues with energy, the issues, and and let me just say this, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, that is your new axis of evil. And so as we are talking about this with Russia and oil and the impact that has on our economy, the price at the pump, the availability of um, hydrocarbons to be used for other products, the price, the effect on logistics. We are an energy-based economy, and, Guy, we have to take that into consideration. It's one of the reasons inflation is through the roof right now at a 40-year high. And then the other thing we have to realize is that we're watching closely to see if China is going to come in and prop up their friend Russia while they are trying to uh, carry out this war against Ukraine. You know, something that you just said, I just want to underscore, sometimes folks will look at you cross-eyed if you make the point that the Trump administration was actually on policy much tougher on Russia than Obama was or Biden has been. And look, there were problems, I would say. Trump's performance in Helsinki, I thought, was bad. Some of the other things that he said, the Zelensky episode with the, you know, the lethal aid and the help that he wanted with the Bidens, all of that. I'm not defending it or pretending like those things don't exist. But you just laid out some of the most important priorities for Vladimir Putin in terms of his ask from the West, his ask from America. Trump did the opposite and Biden gave him what he wanted. That is a reality that absolutely is relevant as we analyze how we got to this point. And it's an important point. Senator, I also want to ask you quickly here about something else we discussed earlier uh, when we were in person, Iran and those negotiations. We only have rumors and leaks But what we are hearing is very disturbing about what might be negotiated as this deal through the Russians with the Iranians. 
Uh, what can be done potentially to stop what appears to be a massive giveaway from Team Biden to this anti-American regime in exchange for nothing? Yeah. That's right. In exchange for nothing. And Iran desperately wants a, uh, a deal because Iran is wanting to export oil to the U.S. market. So they're not going to get that opportunity unless they can structure a deal and then get back into that supply pipeline. Now, the real kicker on this is the U.S. and Iran have negotiators in Vienna, and the intermediary is the Russians. So Mm -hmm. earlier I said we have a new axis of evil. It is Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. Why in heaven's name would Joe Biden sit down with our adversaries, people that are, they are not frenemies, they're not competitors, these are people that want to wipe us off the face of the earth. So why would he be trying to structure a deal with Iran who wants nuclear weapons, who wants to arm up their proxies, which is Hezbollah, Hamas, the Taliban, the Houthis, and put put weaponry in their hands to carry out terrorist attacks. And the Biden administration has Russia trying to help them structure a new Iran nuclear deal. This is the under under which ever. under which, by the way, they'll get nukes. Right. That this is not going to prevent them yeah. from getting nukes. I mean, it's, it's right. it just feels like a total lose lose. And yet this is the direction we're headed, apparently, potentially very soon, which is disturbing. Quickly, Senator, about a minute to go. You sit on the Judiciary Committee, as I mentioned. Uh, that's going to be a busy place in the coming weeks. Judge Katanji Brown Jackson has been nominated for the Supreme Court. What are you going to try to a pry out of her in terms of questions and answers when you meet with her in the upcoming, I believe, week, you said, and then during the hearings. What, what do you want to know? Yes, I want to look at her rulings, her writings, her speeches. I want to hear from her how she values the Constitution or how she looks at that, how she considers the rule of law. I want to make certain that her experience is relevant. I want explanations on some of the cases that uh, I have read her opinions on these cases. I have questions about some of the work that she did for um, some of these detainees at Gitmo. So those are kind of the path that I'm going to travel. Tennesseans, when they talk to me, they want people with experience, people that respect the Constitution, people that abide by the rule of law. Yeah, so there's some vetting to come here on that nomination. Senator Blackburn on The Guy Benson Show. Senator, thank you. It's the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Happy Friday. Thanks for being here. GuyBensonShow.com podcast, always free. Well, just a few weeks ago, we learned on this show about an alter ego of one of our team members, YY the Clown, one of the roles that Wyatt has played many, as it turns out, in his still very young life. And producer Christine really wanted to make sure that I was aware that there's another side to Quiet Wyatt or YY the Clown, and in this case, there is no clowning around happening at all. She is calling him 
War Wyatt. And she sounds a little afraid of War Wyatt. What are you talking about, Christine? So, yes, we we know Quiet Wyatt. We know Why Why the Clown. But this week, and probably a little bit of last week, I have learned there's another uh, layer to him called, I've called him War Wyatt. And this guy is not messing around. He is not dealing with Cookie's antics. He feels this is, it has to be serious all the time. Um, a little critiquing of my bookings, shall I say, and also just, I think he's trying to take my job. I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, all right. So this sounds somewhat paranoid, honestly. So your allegation here is that, what, because of the war in Ukraine and because it's been a very, very serious series of news cycles, Wyatt has kicked his persona into another gear, which you think is, what, overly judgmental, a little yes. intense? All of the above. And I, I don't think I don't think War Wyatt sleeps. I think it's just constant watching the news, reading, you know, his Wall Street Journal. All right, so what's an example? Um any time that I might suggest something that isn't possibly Ukraine and Russia, because I'm saying of course we need to cover that. Of course that's gonna be our focus. Let's just give, you know, something a little lighter. Yet, he says, no, it's not going to happen. So he probably hates this segment, and he'll probably oh. hate the upcoming segments this hour. Wyatt, Wyatt might do a walkout for this hour, <laughs> the happy hour. This is a little too happy. So, Wyatt, is she onto something, or is, is she making this up? Well, I mean, I, I think it's a little bit extreme, but I have been <laughs> – closely monitoring the war. I think it's a huge story, and I think we've been covering it very well on the show, and I think Fox in general on the channel, I mean, it's a big story, so we gotta we got to make sure we're, we're getting all sides and all angles. Has she been out of line in your mind at all? Have you, have you stepped up maybe some, shall we say, constructive criticisms behind the scenes? I think so, just in the beginning of the week, just so we could, you know, set the tone and make sure that we were, were, were being a little more serious than we have in the past on certain things. I think it would be a little odd for us to be covering a war where people are, are, are dying, sadly, and then switch to something about, you know, something that we normally would do fun and silly. So, But I told her that today, since it's Friday and, and since we need a little fun in our lives, we could have some, some funner, you know, silly topics. Um, okay. Also, I have one more complaint. Uh, usually Wyatt is like my sounding board. Like I can call Wyatt and be upset or complain to him about anything. And usually, you know, he calms me down, gets me back on track. But um, I'm not going to say who it is, but there was a huge booking that I thought I had landed. It did not work out. Cookie was devoted. Like really, really, I took this hard this morning. And I called him thinking, you know, he's going to give me like – a pep talk, like, you're the best booker ever, Cookie. We couldn't do this without you. And he just said, all right, what do you want? Like a pat on the head? Like a pat on the back? Let's go. We got to go. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Did not care at all. Wow. That's sort of a dead behind the eyes response. I kind of like it. I understand why you might not, though. Yeah, no, I, I don't operate. I'm sure you know that. <laughs> I don't operate that way. Um, I tend to get... I know you probably disagree with this. Excited about things? Oh, are you saying you're a bit excitable, Christine? Just, Is that what you're claiming? Just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, I knew I knew you were working on this. I knew you were working very hard on it. I knew that you were very excited about it. I was more nervous for you if it didn't work out <laughs> than for the show or for me. 
I was like, for her own good, I hope this works out. And it would also be awesome. And we'll make it happen at some point. Oh, don't it's you It's going to happen at some point. And let's just do a pat on the head and move on. Maybe Wyatt's right about that. So is everyone okay? We're all on the same team here. There's, there's no grumbling. We're just putting this all out in the open. Yeah, yes. I think sometimes we need to air, you know, the uh, show's dirty laundry. And then I'm glad it's the weekend because <laughs> yes. I have, like, I have to move. <laughs> right. Like this weekend. We, yes, because of the home stretch that we discussed yesterday. Yeah. So, the new apartment and all that. I By would, the way, you said that you call him on the regular to, like, be a sounding board and to complain about stuff. Is that a euphemism for me? Are you whining about me? God, no. No. Never. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. I'm to have to ask War Wyatt about this. Get a fact check from War <laughs> Wyatt on this. He just, sometimes he's just a sounding board for my life. Like, sometimes I'll just be walking and I was like, oh, let me call Wyatt. Wyatt, you should start charging by the hour. Her psychic does. You might as well get something out of it. All right, we got to go. But when we come back, an extended home stretch. There's been stuff happening in my life with... The vacation and then something that happened to be on vacation, we haven't gotten to any of it. We've really been very eager to have these types of nonsense conversations in the home stretch. We have been delaying it because it's the right thing and because of the tone that's necessary and because of some of the factors that, yes, War Wyatt has correctly pointed out and has sort of been ruthlessly enforcing all week. But because it's the back end of the happy hour on a Friday, we will get to those things, including, yes, Curious Christine. Straight ahead. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. It's an extended home stretch on this Friday edition of the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website here. Podcast is free of charge every day. Plus, bonus Benson on the weekends, which is usually the lighter stuff, but some slim pickings on that front because of the nature of the news cycle and really the ruthless enforcement of War Wyatt, which we just mentioned in the previous segment. But, Producer Christine, I know that you have been very curious. This is the curious Christine side of you. About the vacation that we took last Wednesday through Sunday. I was off the air for three days. Obviously, a war broke out, so I was following that actually quite closely while on vacation because I wanted to make sure that I was prepared to come back and hit the ground running on the air. Plus, I'm just interested in, in politics and geopolitics and current events, and obviously this is a huge historic event this horrible invasion of Ukraine by the Russians. And so it was not the type of vacation where I fully got to unplug. That was not happening. But it was a beautiful place, Costa Rica, Pura Vida. And I was there with Adam and some really good friends. We in many ways had a fabulous time. It was a stunningly gorgeous hotel where we were staying. Just the views were breathtaking. There was also, I would say, how should I put this, a mishap along the way, which put a bit of a damper on the vacation, partially, although we made the best of it. So you have many questions about all of this, is my understanding, and you have been sort of pent up in all of this. You've been building in frustration. 
bursting almost, yeah. bursting yes. to ask these questions. And now, at last, at the end of the week, we're going to allow it. We got the permission slip signed by Wyatt, so go ahead. So let's let's start back from the beginning. So I believe you left right after – I think things were getting tense in Ukraine, correct? But Things were tense, yeah, and we had, we had General Keenan in the days leading up. We had – KT McFarland on in the days leading up. Yeah, we were covering it pretty closely. But at the time, it was like, you know, will he, won't he? And a lot of the consensus seemed to be, well, you know, maybe he will for these reasons. But probably what he's done in the Donbass region is going to be maybe the extent of it. And then, obviously, that all went up in smoke in a matter of hours. Right. So you were let me just get this straight. You were on your way. Did you land? And is that when you got the news or were you? No, it was after dinner. So we went out to dinner that first night in Costa Rica and we were staying on the resort property at the time. We had this lovely view. We had a great meal. We had some nice wine. It was sort of like, you know, that first glow of the first night where you're just so excited and everything's ahead of you on the vacation. We're talking about, oh, we want to do this excursion. We want to do the waterfall tour. Bum, bum, bum foreshadowing and we were just having a great time and i was making an effort not to be on my phone constantly then we got back to the room and the plan was we were going to watch some netflix in fact i did start a show that you and i are both watching we'll have to talk about that next week if wyatt will let us uh in the home stretch but the plan was to watch some netflix and just hang out i looked at twitter and All hell had broken loose, and I realized, well, this is not going to be a normal vacation. And I – I mean, if you look at my Twitter footprint from Wednesday evening through returning on Sunday, I mean, you probably wouldn't have guessed that I was on vacation because I was plugged in constantly and following the updates because I just – I felt obligated, like a duty professionally to do it, but also just compelled as a person to do that as well. I actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, the great Harry Hurley filled in for you the three days that you were out, and one of our guests uh, was Chris Christie, and his person had called me maybe an hour before the hit and said, I'm so confused. Uh, Is Harry doing it or is Guy? And I said, no, it's Harry. Why? And she's like, because I'm following Guy on Twitter, and he is really up to date with everything, so I'm confused if he's there or not. And I said- that's how much he, I know. I, I, I felt for you because I was like, I know you. There's no way you can take your mind off of this. And this is, I mean, this is a big I deal. I couldn't. It was a big deal. And I did. It was interesting because I was actually talking to my friends on the trip. I was saying, do I post anything about this trip? Should I feel guilty about being on this vacation while this is all happening? And what I decided was all of my brain space on the war and what was happening would be on Twitter. And I would try to keep, as I usually do, my Instagram more personal, more fun, not as serious. Um, and so I was going to put photographs and stories from the trip on my Instagram. So Guy P. Benson on Twitter was serious in politics and world events and war. And Guy P. Benson, same handle on Instagram, was going to be palm trees and Pacific views and photographs of food and that kind of thing, monkeys, various wildlife. So that was the the decision that I made. There were some people who criticized, being like, oh, you know, 
you know, this is tone deaf for you to be on vacation. I was like, well, I mean, you know, Vladimir Putin doesn't dictate my vacation schedule, but he certainly impacted the way the vacation went to a certain extent. But that also comes with the territory. You know, it is what it is. And I think I made the right call under imperfect circumstances. And, like, my dilemma here is not really important at all. What's important is what's happening over there. And because this is stuff that, even if I didn't work in this industry, I would be pretty glued to it. That's just how I am. I just feel lucky and blessed to have a platform like this one on this show with this audience where people actually care what I have to say. And, and I feel like that, that's an obligation. That's, an, that's a responsibility that I have to not sort of roll back with cobwebs in my head from vacation and be like, so what's happening? Oh, there's a war? When did that happen? That's just not really an option here. So that's why I was tweeting as much as I was. In fact, one of my family members was like, dude, you need to unplug and just unwind. So that was the plan. But sometimes events are events. So that's what we did. It was it was hard for me because there were so many times I was going to call you and say, do, do you want to call in? And then I was like, no, he needs, he really needs to unplug. And it's true. You can't predict your vacations based on what Putin's going to do. So it, it, I think you I think you had a good balance. I really do. I think you, you did it well. And, of course, we wanted to see the pictures. And I think you probably would have posted a little more had not been the times. But you did post sure. it. So tell us a little more about the vacation itself. I've never been to Costa Rica. Is it oh, is it like beautiful. a like an Aruba type feel or is it more adventurous? I feel like people go there for more surfing. Did you surf? Yeah, so Aruba surf? is much more so it's an island, it's very dry, it's very flat. Costa Rica has amazing topography with beaches and then, you know, very dramatic cliffs and sort of mountains. There's also a very rich rainforest there and yeah people will go there to surf people will go there to zip line through the jungle people will go there to fish uh, it's absolutely stunning it's extremely hospitable very welcoming to americans everyone speaks spanish but almost everyone also speaks english and it was fabulous it'd been on my list costa rica for a long time and it was a very cool opportunity to go we went to a resort on the pacific like literally overlooking the Pacific, near a town called Kepos. We got a little tiny, tiny, tiny plane from the main airport over to Kepos and then a short drive to the resort, which was just amazing. And this was an early birthday trip for me. This actually now is my birthday weekend that I'm going into, but I'm I'm working, I'm speaking at this event in Florida. So we decided let's do a little birthday trip the weekend before and it was great to have some of my friends there, and they were very kind and very generous, and it was just a, a really cool opportunity. I think you would have loved it. And we saw, among our group, we saw butterflies, we saw parrots or macaws just in the wild flying, these flashes of unbelievable colors flying through the sky. We saw monkeys. We saw sloths. We were out on a boat one day, and we had dolphins right next to the boat. Like, that was fantastic. And so it really felt like a little slice of paradise. But then it was, yes, I mean, it was just the excitement and the happiness was tempered by the sobering reality of what was happening elsewhere in the world at that time. Plus something else that happened to me on this trip, which we will address when we come back for the home stretch of the home stretch on The Guy Benson Show. Stay tuned. The Guy Benson Show. More next. 
Home stretch, Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast always free, on demand. And if you're listening on the broadcast, that choice of bumping music is a bit of a troll by producer Christine. Indeed, it was a song, I think from the 90s, if I'm recalling correctly, that we were singing in the car on this little tour that we were on in Costa Rica. It was one of the offered excursions that you could do during a day. Like, oh, you can go horseback riding on the beach. You can go zip lining through the jungle, which is something I mentioned in the last segment. We really wanted to do the waterfall tour. And so four of the five of us were on that day trip. Started pretty early in the morning, and on our way to the first waterfall in just the the rainforest, basically, of Costa Rica, we were, in fact, singing Waterfalls by TLC. And, Christine, I know that you have been dying to ask me about this little episode, kerfuffle, if you will, on the trip. Yep. So this happened Friday morning. So got there late Wednesday, had the dinner, war breaks out. Thursday, we had just sort of a relaxing day at the beach, at the pool, that kind of thing. And then Friday morning, up, early, and out. So this is the second full day of a relatively short vacation. So feel free to ask what you would like to ask. I mean, (laughs) let's just get right in. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just laughing about, I mean, the fact that TLC warned us all in the 90s, you don't go chasing waterfalls. What does Guy Benson do? He goes right to a waterfall. Yeah. Yeah, it was going to be three waterfalls over the course of the day. The first one was cool. We drove up. We sort of walked a little bit in. And we all had our swimming suits on. And our guide was like, all right, here's how you jump into the waterfall. This is where you want to jump. And we all did it. Well, how do you jump? I mean, you just jump. Is there a specific way? Well, you want to jump to where the water's deep. And, you know, there's specific, you know, he's like, don't dive in head first, jump in this way. So we did it and got some cool photos. And I actually posted a few of them on my Instagram story. Guy P. Benson, by the way, they were up at the time. And they were nice. Like, oh, here's my friend Kelly, who's been on this show from the homegrown year. She was there. Like, oh, here we are taking a selfie in the water by the waterfall. Isn't this beautiful? Great. So step one, check. Success. Step two is a longer hike into a different part of the rainforest with a much higher waterfall. And with this waterfall, it was really, really beautiful. And I was going to take a bunch of photos of it. I said, you know, I'll take it, you know, after I've done the jump, I'll take the photos. And there was a ladder that you had to climb up, and it was quite a climb to get up there. And then there was what they were kind of describing as a natural water slide, almost built in naturally to the rocks. And so you could slide about a third of the way down this thing and then sort of shoot out and go into a very deep little body of water underneath the waterfall. It looked really fun and exciting. And so our guide was telling me, here's what you have to do. Okay, so when you get to the top and when you're sitting down on this little rock, natural slide, if you will, you want to cross your arms to your shoulders. You want to have your chin down a little bit. You want to make sure that when you go off that you... Go straight down and your feet hit first. And he had like one or two other little tips. And I'm trying to do all of it. Didn't seem that difficult. So I get up there. I get situated. I get a little, you know, a little push. Here we go. Down the slide. Exciting. And you're pretty high up there. This was, this was not a little mini one. This was a pretty big one. 
I go off the side as expected, and I most focus in my head on chin down, arms crossed, not so much on like feet out and pointed and landing feet first. And I guess just naturally my instinct was to lift my knees when I went over. So my knees come up, and for that reason I land not feet first. The impact is very heavily on my rear end, which is a hard crash into the water. And instantly it just like shot up my back, just radiated up my back, totally knocked the wind out of me. And I was able sort of as a fight or flight survival instinct, I was able to swim back to sort of the little rocks in the shore. But I was in shock. I was in extreme pain. I was sort of seeing stars and was sort of gasping for breath. I was sweating. Just, I guess, this natural reaction. I was profusely sweating, even though it wasn't that hot. And I was, I felt like on the brink of throwing up for about half an hour straight. Oh, my And my back was just, I mean, it was brutal. I, I don't know how I was able to hike back out of this place over rocks and all this stuff. I guess I just knew I have to. I have to get out of here. There's no one else who can really do it except for me. And they could tell, like, that was the end of the trip, like, of the waterfall excursion. We had to go straight to a doctor. I was getting injected with stuff. I don't even know what they injected into me. I had then painkillers and muscle relaxants and all this stuff. And it is, like, it is some of the most pain I've ever experienced. I've never had the back pain thing. And I know it can be debilitating and really chronic for people. And I got certainly a dose of it a big jolt of it on this trip. And I was not down for the count for the rest of the trip. I was down for the count for the rest of that day, for that evening. Um, I I participated in a few little things on Saturday just so I didn't feel like I was lying in bed for most of this vacation, which I didn't want to do because I don't get a lot of vacation time that I take to to do this kind of thing, even though I travel a lot. So I was like, oh, trying to do stuff but not exerting too much because I physically really couldn't. And then the flight home on Sunday was a very unpleasant experience because sitting on the plane, like when I was sitting, I wanted to be standing. When I was standing, I wanted to sit back down. At one point, I was up sort of like in the galley on the plane and just bent over, sort of sort of trying to stretch my back with the flight attendants just watching me for like 20 minutes. That was not fun, and I'm still feeling it. Like I'm, I'm not recovered. I'm feeling, I would say, 80% better from the worst of it, but that 20% is really still something. So that's the story. I went chasing waterfalls, and it didn't end well. I I, I feel I feel for you because you texted me that night, and you know I panicked, so you're like, Listen. I waited till the show was over. I, I <laughs> wanted to make sure the show was over so you wouldn't lose it, and you guys can continue focusing on that live show. And then as soon as it was 6 Eastern, I texted you. I'm like, don't panic, but... And then you were trying so hard not to panic. Oh, I, could tell. I tried to take all the exclamation points away because you know me. I wanted to be like, what? I'm coming. Here I come. I was going to offer to be your nurse for the yeah, week. No, 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 thank you. That is very kind to offer, but we're going to do a hard pass on that. Uh, but I'm glad that you were concerned. I'm definitely on the mend, I would say, overall. Dr. Sapphire, Dr. Neshwat were very helpful texting with me. So on the mend, hopefully feeling even better after this weekend. 
Have a great weekend as best you can. Stay safe. Stay sane. We'll talk to you on Monday. It's The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.